We're in there to find out. Thank you, team. Appreciate your work. I was uh, looking at the words where the, you know, may the walls come crashing down. One of the things I would love to do, but don't tell anyone, please. I would love to get the children's church to do the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And actually, the, the children are actually doing the story of Joshua at the moment. So don't tell anyone. You know what I'd love to do? I'd love to get the children to come in and march round. <laughs> and then after the, the seventh time they've done it, loud out, let out an almighty roar and everybody will go, oh, what's going on? That's just my kind of personality, though. But don't tell anyone, because if it does happen, let it be a surprise. Not that I'm giving you a pre-warning, but actually... Uh, on the 1st of October, I'm uh, going to take the children and ask them, what should they teach us about Joshua? And then the next Sunday during the children's program, I'm going to ask them, okay, so you said this is what we should teach us about Joshua. How are we going to do it? Okay, the next Sunday we're going to practice it, and the following Sunday is the 1st of October, where we're going to do all-age preaching. So um, be warned, I have absolutely no idea what's going to come out of that. <laughs> but that, that's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah. So our passage today is Philippians 2, chap, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. This is the fifth of a series of uh, passages on Philippians, which Rob has carefully planned to conclude when he comes back, which is uh, not a silly idea. Now, Ben did an absolute fantastic job last week of reminding us about what we should be, what our lives should be for living for Christ. And he had four words. Can anyone remember them? He took notes. <laughs> Live, stand, believe, and suffer. So when we see... Therefore, in Scripture, we should see what it's there for. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah, I have, to, I have to warn you about my jokes. But that's what it is there for. Therefore, because of what we have heard before, now we're going to move on and conclude that and make the point and underscore it and hit it bang on the head. Therefore, because otherwise, if we don't look at why therefore is there, we have a text without a context. And in my opinion, that is a pretext. That's another old joke too. So, let me read this to you. I'm going to stand in the shade so I can actually read the slide. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. What a fantastic piece of scripture. Uh, I'm Ben Carswell this morning. Uh, Ben was originally down to preach this, couldn't make it, and um, I thank you, Ben. What a fantastic passage of scripture. Let's read it again. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So I looked at this passage and I went, hmm, what do I take out of that? Sermons are supposed to have three points. Ben had four last week, so you got a bonus. What three points could I take out of this? And I looked at it and I went, you know what? I think we're only going to have one word. Just one. It's translated here as encouragement. But I wondered what the word behind that actually is. So I had a look in the Greek. And I was tempted to make the joke, that's all Greek to me, but that would possibly not be politically correct, so I won't make that joke. Um, But I wondered, what is behind that word? What does it mean? It's actually translated in other parts of the Bible, same Greek word, as appeal. So I went, hmm, this is interesting. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. But I remember as a student when I was studying, theoretically, I was studying Maori language. uh, And I did three years of this study at a tertiary level. And I was translating a song. And in there, there was a line. Napukei mama o. Anyone know the song? No? It's just one line from it, random. It translates as the hills in the distance. And I translated this into English. And in English, it's flat, it's dull, it's boring. But in Tereo, it's beautiful. Tereo is such a rich language. And, and put together in the original language, it would bring tears to your eyes. And yet, 
translated into English, it's flat, it's boring, and brings new meaning to the, the term lost in translation. So I wanted to go and look at the underlying Greek we have here. Because if we really want to know what Paul is trying to say to us, Paul would have been a native Greek speaker. Greek would have been his first language. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of teachers. He would have been brought up in, in Greek, and Greek would have been natural to him as English is natural to me. So his words would have been chosen very, very carefully. And the Greek word that he has chosen to use here, and please, if you can speak Greek, uh, I apologize for my pronunciation. But this is the best that I could do with Google and Google Translate and, and everything else. Anyway, here we go. Paraklesis. Paraklesis. That is the Greek word that is used, and we have translated in the NIV here as encouragement. Paraklesis. It's used a number of times in the New Testament. I mentioned appeal before in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. For the paraklesis we make does not spring from error or from impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Paraklesis. Same word as encouragement. The root word, the infinitive form of this is parakleo. And it's actually broken down into two parts. Para, which means close by. And kaleo, which means to call. Uh, para, in this particular case, this is where we get things like paralegal, paramedic. You're not actually a lawyer, you're a paralegal. You're not actually a medic, you're a paramedic. Okay? You're close to, but not, not there. And to call. So there is an implication of intimacy here. I hope I don't freak um, uh, Ian out, but it's like you know, me, me coming down here and, and being, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really close to, to you, Ian. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Right? It, it, it means close by. Really close. Intimate. And to call. So if we have any encouragement, any paraclysis, really close by. Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm really here with you. I really want you to know that I, I am sincere with this. Paraclysis. Okay, Chris, what's the point? Why are you teaching us Greek when you quite happily admit you're not a Greek scholar? Well, there is another word that comes from parakaleo, the infinitive form, that is used in the New Testament. It's only used by John. And that is parakletos. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another parakletos to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because 
it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And he lives with you and will be, with, be in you. Parakletos. This is actually the root word where we get the word paraclete. If you come across that. If that means something to you, great. If not, this is where it comes from. It's actually only used by John in the New Testament. The rest of the time, the, the Holy Spirit is normally referred to as pneuma, where we get pneumatic from. You know, the, the, um, kind of like wind, I suppose, in many respects. So, parakletos, again, comes from parakleo. And it's used five times by John, in four times in the, the Gospel of John, and one in one John. And it's normally translated as advocate from a legal sense. If you have an advocate, if you have a lawyer in your defense, they are intimately involved with you and they know your story intimately because they need to know that in case there are any surprises found by the other opposing force. But it's the same root word, parakaleo, that has derived into parakletos and parakletos. Parakletos, the Holy Spirit, and parakletos, which is, in our case, encouragement. Okay. So, again, what's the point? Did you come to church this morning to have Greek rammed down your throats? Or is it actually giving us an insight into what Paul is saying in this particular case? Well, go back into the passage and see. Now that we know a little bit more about the one word here that is used as encouragement in the NIV, therefore, if you have any paraclesis, from being united with Christ. Do you see that intimacy? Do you see that closeness that we have by being united with Christ in the same way as parakletos is united to us with Christ? The Holy Spirit. The Advocate. That closeness. Uh, if you are a believer in baptism of the Holy Spirit, if, if this is something that you, you believe in, the, the Holy Spirit is within us. So it's not just intimacy and, and around us, but it is actually inside us and part of our fabric. So if you have any paraclesis from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Can you see Paul's appeal here? Can you see why paraclesis would be interpreted as appeal in other parts of the New Testament? Does this impact the way you read this passage? Because this is what it, what it did for me. I'm just taking you on a journey. That this is my journey of discovery as I looked at this. So the challenge, if you look at the, the last part of our passage, where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Given this closeness that we have, that Paul is he's imploring us, he's pleading. It's quite emphatic. Does that affect how you look at that last part of verse 4? Let me go back, please. Not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. Would you describe the church that way? So my challenge to you is to go back. Ben encouraged you to read the whole chapter. I'm only going to encourage you to read four verses. Go back and read that. And think about how that affects how we should live. Because imagine what would church look like if we actually had more interest in others than we did of our, of our own. So, that's my first point of a three-point sermon. Go back and reread that passage and evaluate in your own mind what does this mean to me? If you have a home group, that's a good question to ask. What does this mean to me? This intimacy that is implied by para as part of paraklesis. The second challenge I have for you is what about discipleship? Ben, when he preaches, always finds a reason to make it evangelical. And I love Ben for that. When I'm preaching, I always find a way to make it about discipleship. Both are important. Uh, evangelism is actually part of discipleship. You have to start your journey somewhere and someone has got to show you the way. So as far as I'm concerned, Ben and I are preaching the same subject. But evangel uh, uh, discipleship, to a degree, happens this way. With somebody speaking to many. But the bulk of discipleship, if you actually look at how you have grown as a Christian, it's generally not because somebody up here has actually said something to you down there or online. It's actually one on one. Anyone remember I preached the parable of the sower? Nope. Oh, one, one person did. Oh. <laughs> I think you were overseas at the time, Richard, because Richard normally takes notes. Uh, I, I, I use the parable of the sower. If you know the parable, the, the, the parable goes basically, a farmer went out to sow, he sowed some seed, some landed on the path, some amongst the thorns, and some landed on the good soil. And the birds came in and ate the seed on the path, and the weeds choked the that uh, landed amongst the thorns and the, the seed that landed in the good soil yielded 30, 40, 100 times what it gave in the first place. And I said to you, that parable is about discipleship. And I remember at the time there were a lot of people going, looking at me going, how do you get discipleship out of that? Does anyone remember? Or have I jogged anyone's memory? No? Because I asked the question, where's the farmer? 
In the parable of the sower, the farmer goes out and sows. But who, who runs a, a garden does not weed the garden, does not sweep up the seed that might have landed on the path and actually go and sow it into the good soil. Who does not water it and tend it and nurture it? Where's the farmer? Same thing in this case. If we are going to be close by, paraclesis, if we're going to be close by, intimate, close to each other, as Paul is imploring in this passage, then that to me implies discipleship. It's that one person that walks alongside you that helps you on your Christian journey, that asks that question, holds you accountable. It's about discipleship. And that comes from intimacy. I can't rock up to you and speak into your life. I haven't earned the right to do that. You have to invite me in. And it becomes intimate, close. So given we have paraclesis, we then have the ability to speak into each other's lives and not look to our own interests or out of vain conceit, but look to the interests of others. So to me, that passage is about discipleship. And then lastly, same basic point really, just to ask you, does the Holy Spirit play a part in your personal interactions at work, school, at play, sport, on the bus, on the train, when you're walking through the mall. Does the Holy Spirit play a part in your life like that? Because it does for me. I'm often teaching, like I feel I am now, and I'm constantly listening to the Holy Spirit say, you need to revise that. Try this. These people are asleep. Wake them up. The Holy Spirit is constantly talking to me when I am doing my work day in and day out. Imagine I've got 20 people on a Zoom call, all of them with the cameras off, all of them with the microphones off, and I'm teaching dry wheat mix in the desert. This last week, I've been teaching site reliability engineering. Does that sound like fun? Site reliability engineering, yeah. Mm. So you've got 20, 20, 20, 20 people there. How do I know that it's got through or not got through? How do I know that someone's struggling with it? How do I, I've got no physical feedback for it. The Holy Spirit tells me, Chris, you need to re-explain that. Chris, you actually need to Check that people have comprehended. And sure enough, I listen to that still small voice and it's exactly right and I can't explain it. I once had to explain it. I was once asked by Amazon, what does a trainer need to do when they're, when they're training in that kind of situation? And my answer was, they need to be present. And what I mean by that is actually listen to the Holy Spirit 
and be prepared to let the Holy Spirit talk to you. So for me, this passage, the paraclesis that we have in this passage, is very real and very meaningful and very important. Because we need to be close by and, and listening as we would with the advocate, with the Holy Spirit. The, oh, thank you. That's a good place for me to, to draw that to a close. So 